0: We need a different way to live, because it seems like the way that we're currently living isn't really leading to life. It isn't really leading to life more abundant in the life that Jesus desires for us to live. And so we need a different way. In fact, I would argue that we need just a better way, because we keep trying different things, but we end up with the same results. We end up tired, on edge, anxious, burnout, depressed... Just one more thing could push us over the brink, and that isn't really, I think, how we're supposed to live. We're continuing our series today called Rhythms that we started last week, and we're in this season because it's, or we're in this series because it's just kind of a natural time to to begin a new series about life rhythms. Kids are back in school, fall sports have begun. It just seems like the fall relaunch is just a perfect time for us to reestablish Maybe some new habits, some new disciplines to help ground us and guide us in our life. And last week, to just kind of give you a recap, uh, you can go back to our our website, hopecommunityonline.org, and click on the Messages tab and watch the entire thing there. But just to give us a brief recap, we're we're working through the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, In fact, I want to give away this copy today. Um, Who has the birthday that's closest to today's date? When's your birthday? Oh, perfect, Mike. You get a book. You get a book, and you get a book. Enjoy, Mike. Happy birthday. All right, that's coming very, very soon. So everybody, wish Mike a happy birthday. So we're working. uh, We're we're kind of working through that book. It's kind of framing where we're going in the series. And last week we looked at the question that John Mark Comer says in his book, that how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. It's who we become or don't become. And I would argue that maybe that question is a little bit haunting and terrifying. Because if we step back and look at how we're spending our time, we're left wondering, is that really how I want to spend the rest of my life? Is it helping me to become the best possible version of myself? Or when I look at how I'm spending my time and who I'm becoming, do I l- not like what I see? Maybe I should do something different to become the best possible version of, of the me that I want to be. In fact, that idea of becoming the me that I want to be is what kind of launched us into this, this, um, this series. John, or, uh, Dallas Willard, um, who is a, a philosopher and also did some uh, theology work was famous for responding to that very question in this way. He said, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life because hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. So we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. And as people who are trying to pattern our lives after the way of Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus, we don't see Jesus ever in a hurry. We see him taking his time very slow, very methodical, about what he's doing. And Jesus invites us into that way of life to come under him as his disciples, as his followers, as his apprentices. In fact, last week we looked at a verse from Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus said, "'Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and humble in heart, "'and you will find rest for your souls.'" What a powerful idea to come to Jesus because he offers us a different, a better way to live. And so we said at the end of last week that we need to establish a rule of life. And a rule of life is just simply an intentionally set of daily practices and relational rhythms that help to guide or ground us or root us in the way of Jesus. And so for the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're gonna establish those daily practices, that relational rhythm, those things that we can do to help us to become the best me that we can possibly be to become the people that God has created and desires for us to be. All right, so that's introduction. Now, how many of you remember what it was like to actually be bored? Anybody? A few people? Okay. When was the last time that you were actually bored though? I mean, I I think about it, I really can't think of a time recently that I was actually bored. I think part of it is just stage of life and having two jobs and a family and a very pregnant wife who um, doing things around the house is just extra because, you know, we're about to have a baby any day now. And so there's that, uh, you know, weighing on her and just trying to help out in those ways. But I really can't think of a time when I was actually bored. Now, if I go back in time, I can remember as a kid being bored. I grew up on a farm. We had lots to do, lots of chores. But there's also plenty of time to play, to be bored. In fact, on a rare occasion, I can remember going inside and telling my mom, Mom, I'm bored. The more it was, Mommy, I'm bored. Uh, yes, I called my mom, Mommy. Not anymore, I call her Mom. Um, but she would always tell me, and usually my sister that was with me, just go outside, go play. Go find something to do. Because when we're bored, we have to be creative and come up with ways to occupy our time. And so We did. We would play in the dirt under our tree. Uh, with our little matchbox cars, we make little roads, we'd play in the sandbox. We had a, a crick, yes, I say crick, not creek, that ran through our farm. And we would go down there and play, catch crayfish, fish. Uh, I was notorious for always walking in water that was over my boots, um, because I always thought that I could do it. That Oh, there's a rock, I can step on that rock, and that'll keep my boots above the water, but that rock would always move. But I, I tried every time. And maybe you had a similar childhood. Maybe you played outside a lot or you found other things to do when you were bored. Now, flash forward to today. When was the last time you were bored? When you did anything like that? When you found creative ways to occupy your time? In fact, I think most of us, when we're bored, we pull this out of our pocket. And we use this as our distraction or as our pacifier, our digital pacifier to keep us from experiencing boredom anymore. In fact, in 2007, our world changed because, well, that was the year that Pastor Phil and I and Christy, his wife, graduated high school, that's not why the world changed. The world changed in 2007 because that's the year that Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. And because of the iPhone and other smartphones now since then, we've been able to have instant access to information, we've been able to communicate instantly, and sometimes and effectively with other people. We have constant access to news, to social media, to all the entire world at our fingertips. Along with that, we've also lost our ability to be be bored because we have constant access to those distractions. And as a result, we're feeling so disconnected from ourselves and also disconnected from others and from God. I mean, when was the last time that you actually had an original thought? A thought that came from you, that didn't come from somebody else. It wasn't just something that somebody else said that you were repeating, but it came from you. Have you ever wondered why it is today that everybody seems to be saying the same thing? That nobody has any original thoughts anymore? I think it's because we're so distracted. We don't take the time to do deep thinking, to reflect on issues, to reflect on who we're becoming, to reflect on our lives. And going back to that question, how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. It's who we become or don't become. Are the distractions in our life helping us to become the best possible version of ourselves? Maybe for you it is, but I know whenever I look at my own life, I'm not so sure. When I think about how distracted I am, I don't necessarily like what I see. And so maybe it's time for us to do something different. Because when we're bored we find ways to creatively spend our time. When we're bored, we find time to pray for ourselves and for other people. We find time to connect with God. If you haven't picked up on this idea that boredom is so important for us as human beings, you can just do a, a quick little research project on why boredom is important to the human species and come up with an incredible amount of information. But boredom gives us time to think, time to play, time to be creative, and time to be alone with ourselves. And maybe that last part, being alone with ourselves, is the scariest part. John Mark Comer, in reflecting on the new epidemic of boredom in our society, or lack of boredom, says this in his book. He says this new normal of hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present. Present to God, present to other people, present to all that is good, beautiful, and true in our world, and even present with our own souls all that noise, all that distraction, is preventing us from connecting with ourselves, connecting with God, and making us deaf to the voice of God. And we wonder why it is that we feel so distant from God. Well, we can't be present with God when we're distracted by the pacifier that we have in our pocket. Because when we're bored, what we do, we automatically reach for this. We check the scores, check the news, see what's happening on social media. And so as we begin to develop this rule of life, that set of daily practices that's going to ground us and root us in the way of Jesus, there's something that we can do to develop, to fight against this, a countercultural practice to push against the hurry, to push back against the distractions, a practice that will lead to life and not to death. I'm going to tell you up front what that practice is. It's the practice of silence and solitude. And that little bit of a pause right there, for some of you, made you really uncomfortable, because we're just so used to having noise around us that the idea of thought bring, or the idea of silence and solitude brings up a, a level of anxiety in us, because we feel like we always have to be distracted, because that's become normal for us. Instead of seeking quiet, you know, Jesus often went to a quiet place. It was part of his regular rhythm of life. He would go there before going to do ministry or after doing a lot of ministry. When Jesus had a lot of things to do, he would go there first. But we're the opposite. When our to-do list grows, we stay up later, we work longer days, we get up earlier, we work harder, we hustle. And the first thing to go is usually that time of quiet. If you have a regular quiet time, that's usually the first thing to go. But Jesus went there first. And I think we can learn from that. And you might think, well, how can you know, Jesus know what it's like to live in a modern world with so many distractions? And I would say he never experienced that. But I think the, the way of Jesus, the way he patterned his life, of in spite of having lots of things to do, because, I mean, after all, he was the savior of the world, he went to silence and solitude first in the middle of busy seasons of his life. And if we're going to bring our lives under Jesus, to take on his easy yoke, to apprentice under him, I think this is something that we need to learn to develop. If you open up the gospel accounts, that is the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, you see Jesus always going to a solitary place. One of the most famous is in Mar- or Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus goes off into the wilderness, into the desert, for 40 days to, be, uh, to pray and fast. And then at the end of the, those 40 days, he's tempted by the devil. It's only after seeking silence and solitude first that he has strength to then withstand the attacks of Satan. You see, Jesus was strengthened by silence and solitude. It wasn't a time of weakness. For some of us, when we think of the idea of silence and solitude, we think, I don't want to do that. That just seems weird and awkward. And how can that have any benefit? But for Jesus, and I think for us, going there first is an act of strength. Because in meeting Jesus in the wilderness, in the quiet place, he refreshes our souls. As we read in Psalm chapter 23 earlier, that he refreshes our souls. He leads us by still waters. He leads us in paths of righteousness because he is the good shepherd. And we're going to come back to that idea in a little bit. We also see in Mark chapter 6, Jesus going off to a solitary place. And if you brought a Bible, that's where we're going to be at today. And so uh, just to kind of tell you what's happening in, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out his disciples to go out and do the work of ministry. So they, they go off, they heal people, um, you know, they make blind people see, lame people walk, they cast out demons, they teach people in the way of Jesus. And then they come back because they were able to accomplish all this incredible stuff. And they report to Jesus what has happened. But sandwiched in between there, Mark decides that he needs to tell us a story about John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. John had a tendency to speak out against the king, King Herod, and King Herod didn't like the things that John said. And so he ended up having John arrested and later on he, he killed him. And here you have this man that was the most powerful person in that region who thought that he had all authority, that he could kill uh, God's prophets and, and God's people. But then you have the one that is actually most powerful, Jesus, who is the actual king of the world. And that's not at all how he rules. He rules in a way that leads to life. And so John, or Mark wants us to pick up on that idea. And so then the disciples, uh, we read in uh, Mark chapter 6, come to Jesus and they say this. They re, uh, their apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So after the disciples had a a hard season of ministry, Jesus invites them to rest. He didn't invite them to keep going, to just press on, to do more work, but instead to come to rest, to find a solitary place with them. I mean, they were so busy, it says that they didn't even have time to eat. Jesus' answer wasn't just work longer days, get up earlier, power through, grab some falafel and a pita, pita pocket on the way and just, you know, keep going. Now, his, his answer was to rest, to come away with him to a quiet place. This word quiet place is Ramos, and it just simply means a, a quiet place, a lonely place, a solitary place, a wilderness, a desert, and on and on the definitions go. But they all have the same idea in mind that it's a, way, it's a place that's away from distractions, away from noise, away from the hustle and bustle of daily life. It's a, it's a place... That's different. And so Jesus invites his disciples to come with him to that place. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. They went away by, by boat on the Sea of Galilee. I've got a photo of the Sea of Galilee from when I was in Israel several years ago. And the Sea of Galilee is a pretty big sea. But for the ancient people, this represented chaos. Waters represented chaos. And you didn't go through the center of the lake, even though that was the shortest distance to get to a point. You know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but not if there's chaos, chaos monsters and just destruction that could happen in the middle of those waters. And so when they would travel around the Sea of Galilee, we know that they would stay pretty close to the edge, you know, far enough that they you know they didn't run aground on sandbars, but close enough that you could see the edge. And then we read in the next verse that But many who saw them leaving recognized and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them because they could see the disciples going along the shore trying to get away from the crowd. And they ran faster than what the disciples were able to row. And they got there ahead of the disciples. And so when Jesus landed, he saw the crowd and had compassion on them. He wasn't angry with them. He had compassion on them. I think if we were the disciples in this situation, we would have been a little bit upset because after all, we were hangry maybe. Uh, this was our quiet place and all these people that we were trying to escape followed us there. But Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. This language of Jesus being the shepherd, of the people being a sheep without a shepherd. And then Mark tells us that you know jesus is that shepherd he doesn't tell us directly but he implies that jesus is the shepherd and he's referring us back to psalm chapter 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want or i shall not have a need the people didn't know it but jesus was about to meet their needs he was about to provide for them in the wilderness because they were like sheep without a shepherd and jesus was the good shepherd later on in the passage Mark makes sure that he, that he includes this detail for us that Jesus made them sit down in green grass. Psalm 23 says that Jesus makes them lie down in green pastures. He leads them in, in, in paths of righteousness. And Jesus did that because he made them sit down and began to teach them many things. He taught them in a way that led to life. And so his followers and his disciples went there, went to a quiet place, To be refreshed by Jesus, to meet with Jesus. Verse 35, but by this time it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Again, the disciples, they're still hungry. And all these needy people just keep following him. They can't escape the crowd. They've invaded their quiet place or what was supposed to have been their quiet place. So they want to send them away. And Jesus' answer wasn't to send them away. The, the story continues, and we read about how Jesus fed the 5,000. Maybe some of you are familiar with this. But Jesus tells the disciples, well, you go get these people something to eat. Go in the towns and, and buy food for these people. The disciples are like, how are we going to get any money to buy enough food for these people. There are over 5,000 people. And then one of the disciples, with enough faith in Jesus, brings Jesus, this little boy that has some loaves of bread and some fish. And the story goes that Jesus blesses the, the loaves and the fish and then begins to distribute them to the crowds. And everybody had their fill. And they gathered up 12 basketfuls of leftover bread and fish. These people were in need, and they met Jesus in the wilderness. They went to a quiet place, and Jesus fed them. He showed up for them. And immediately after doing this, in verse 45, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus stayed behind and sent the disciples on ahead of him. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. It was a mountainside perhaps like this, overlooking the, the Sea of Galilee. This is Mount Arbel. It's a quiet, lonely, desolate place. A place where you could escape crowds of people. And this is where Jesus went after, again, doing another miracle. After doing ministry, Jesus needed to himself be refreshed by God. And so God provided rest for his son, Jesus, in the middle of that aremos. That lonely place that quiet place the solitary place and if there's anyone who didn't need to rest it was jesus because after all he was the son of god he was god in a in a body but yet jesus himself knew that he needed to be refreshed and here we are people made in god's image and we think that we don't need to rest that we don't need silence and solitude that we can live a distracted life and that leads to the best possible version of ourselves. But is that actually how we want to live? Is that leading to the best possible version of yourself? Because even Jesus needed silence and solitude. He needed to pray and rest. And then the next verse, we read that Jesus spent all night praying He stayed up all night to pray, and as he was looking out over the Sea of Galilee, he could see his disciples struggling to row against the storm that he brewed up. And it was only after praying and seeking silence and solitude that Jesus had the strength then to walk on water and deliver his disciples through the storm, through the chaos, through that wilderness, and bring them safely to the other side. Jesus defeated Satan only after seeking first silence and solitude, in the desert, going to that lonely place. And we can only be truly human, the human beings that God has created us to be by first seeking silence and solitude instead of seeking that last, or making that the first thing to go from our schedules. You see, the problems that we're facing today of of being distracted, of feeling disconnected from God, of of being disconnected from what's going on inside of us can't be solved by adding more apps, more notifications, more buzzes, more rings to our phone, they can be solved by adding more smart devices, more things to our schedule, but they can only be solved by doing something different, by seeking silence and solitude. And so in silence and solitude, we are able to reconnect ourselves to ourselves and reconnect to God because over and over throughout the Bible, if you open up uh, starting on page one and just work your way through, you see this theme of God showing up in the wilderness, in the quiet place, and meeting his people there. And so we need silence and solitude. We need silence. We need to establish a time of silence to quiet the external noise and the internal noise. And you might be wondering, well, how do I even do this? Because I've got roommates, or I've got kids, or I've got really annoying cats. The cats just shut them in a room and forget about them. Um, Actually, maybe don't do that. Um, But... That's an an idea. But we need silence and solitude. And one of the most common ways is to get up early or stay up late. When everybody else is in bed in your house, get up early. Stay up late. Find that silence and God will meet us in that silence. In fact, St. Augustine had a tendency to say that entering silence is entering into joy. That there's something that happens whenever we enter into silence that it brings joy to our weary souls. There's something powerful that helps us to sense God's presence when we meet God in a lonely place, in a quiet place, in the wilderness. I was recently talking to a friend of mine who spent three weeks hiking in the Sierras, and he would consider himself religious, but not, or spiritual, but not religious. And he said that there were moments on mountains when staring up at a giant sequoia when drinking out of a mountain brook, when he would sense God's presence. And maybe you've experienced that before in the wilderness. You've gone for a hike in a national park or in a, you know, a, on a trail around here. Maybe you've gotten up early and went outside and you were able to sense God's presence. I know I've been able to experience that as well. So there's something powerful about setting aside time for that silence. Because God has a tendency to show up in those places when we quiet ourselves, when we clear the external noise away, but also when we begin to clear the internal noise. And so we need time to intentionally get rid of that internal noise as well. Are you one of those people that always has to have music or maybe a podcast, the news, something always on in the background? I know some people like that. Have you ever wondered why you're that way? Why you need those constant distractions. Sometimes I wonder if maybe we're trying to hide what's going on inside of us. We're trying to use that external noise to drown out the noise of ourselves, the internal noise, to drown out that conversation that we keep replaying in our mind or the thoughts that we keep telling that we've heard other people say about us. And so we need to also learn to quiet those internal noises because we're so afraid of what we might find inside, but maybe what we find inside is what God wants to use in us to help us to work through to become the best possible versions of ourselves. But if we keep being distracted, we can't work through those issues. And I know that that internal noise is a lot harder to quiet, all the thoughts, all those conversations with ourselves. But we need to practice and learn to silence both. Silence and solitude is is a discipline. And disciplines usually aren't always pleasant. They take work. They take repetition to get good at them. It's not something that's going to happen right away. It's something that we must enter into. Because when in silence and solitude, we're able to use prayer to focus our attention on God through shared presence. By being present, fully present with God, not distracted, but all of ourselves and all of God's self, showing up there in our silence. Because we can't be present with ourselves with, if we're distracted by God. And you might be thinking, well, that sounds a lot like mindfulness. And in some ways it is, but it's different than mindfulness because silence is entering into a relationship. And that relationship, that communion with God, and mindfulness is just with yourself. And so it's not a, a technique to master, but it's a relationship to enter into. And that idea of entering into a relationship with God and our silence can be something that's powerful. It's something that can set us free. And if you've ever been distracted while you're praying, you're not alone. It just means that you're human. And we can use those distractions to help guide our prayers. That thought that keeps coming through our mind, focus in on that. Pray about that thing. Start praying about the next thing that comes to mind until you've been able to clear your mind. Rich Velotis in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, says that each distraction is an opportunity to enter into a relationship with God, to return to God. Because if silence is communion, a relationship with God, then every distraction, every time we bring ourselves back, we're re entering that relationship. So, a thousand thoughts, a thousand distractions are a thousand times that we have the opportunity to return back to God, to be present with ourselves, present with God. John Calvin was famous for saying that there is no knowledge of God without knowledge of self. We can't know who God is without first understanding who we are, our faults, our strengths, the things that we're tempted by, and who we are in light of who God is without first seeking the inner life. So that's solitude, or silence. Next, the next practice is solitude. John Mark Comer de, defines solitude as this A Solitude is engagement. That it's not the same as isolation because isolation is escape. Solitude is safety, isolation is danger. Solitude is when you set aside time to feed and water and nourish your soul, to let it grow in health and maturity. And isolation is what you crave when you neglect the former. The solitude is so much different from isolation because in, in solitude, We connect with God. We connect with ourselves. We're not isolated because, in isolation, we connect ourselves off from everyone else, including God. And isolation is what we crave when we neglect that former thing, when we neglect solitude, when we neglect setting aside times to feed and water and nourish our souls. When we fail to do that, he says that we desire isolation. And I think that's what a lot of us desire. We desire just to be alone with us and not even with our own thoughts because we're distracted. We desire to be cut off from God and sometimes cut off from other people because we have failed to do the deep work and to feed and water and nourish our soul. And so maybe we feel disconnected from God because we've been distracted. We've been distracted by these things and we've failed to feed and water and nourish our souls. As a pastor, I hear that. I I hear people say, I just feel so disconnected from God. And it's not that God is absent from us, but that we have been distracted. Sometimes we have left God's presence. And we need to develop a habit, a daily rhythm of returning to silence and solitude to be refreshed by God because God is the good shepherd who makes his sheep lie down in green pastures. He restores their souls. He leads them in paths of righteousness. And by cool waters. And so maybe you find yourself disconnected from God, and I would say that's okay. We have all been there, it's just part of the natural cycle of following Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. We need to begin to develop those habits that are going to restore us, return us to God's presence. So my challenge is to try clearing out those distractions and see what happens. As we talk about this idea of silence and solitude, Henry Nouwen, who was a uh, a teacher at Harvard and Yale and later on left that life uh, to care for the mentally handicapped and large community, he says this, that without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live the life that God desires for us to live. Because we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and to listen to him. Because solitude allows us to be free from other people, free from their approval or their disapproval, free from their negativity. It gives us freedom to be truly ourselves in the presence of God because God already says, I love you, I approve of you, you are my child. And so we're free to enter into that And we need to develop this habit to set aside time to become spiritually healthy, to become mentally healthy, to do the deep work of understanding why we think the way we think and where those thoughts originate. Uh, Another great book that I highly recommend would be The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Valotis. Uh, He guides us through some practices that can help us to be grounded in that way. And so my challenge for us today is to begin to schedule this as a daily rhythm. To put it on your calendar, to either get up early or stay up late, because in those moments of silence and solitude, just like Jesus met with God, his Father, we can meet God in those moments. Pay attention to those times when you're restless, when you can't sleep. Instead of rolling over and grabbing your phone, maybe instead just lie there and use that time to pray. Pray. To chase down those thoughts and pray about those things that you're thinking about. Go for a walk, go for a run this week, go for a hike. Get alone somewhere in nature. It might be as simple as just getting up early and going out on your back patio or your back deck. Just find time to intentionally be silent. Another thing that you can do is to start the Bible plan, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry on the Bible app. And the QR code is up here. If you want to pull out your phone right now and scan that code, you could start that Bible plan today. Um, But I'd encourage everyone, if you're watching online, to look for the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry Bible Plan and set aside time early in the morning or late in the day to work through that content, to work through it as a daily habit and see what happens from there. Because we can only be human, the human beings that God desires for us to be, are first seeking silence and solitude. Because the problems that we're facing today can't be solved by adding more distractions, more apps, more notifications, more things to our schedule. Because we've already tried those things. And it hasn't led us to be the best possible version of ourselves. So maybe it's time that we push back against all those things, push back against our culture, and do something different. Maybe it's time that we try silence and solitude. In fact, we're going to try that right now. We're not going to move away from here yet because I want us to start that practice today. So we're going to spend a, a few moments in silence and solitude, and that might feel a little bit uncomfortable. But if we're to become the people that God desires for us to be, if we're to experience God in his fullness, we need to begin to become okay with that discomfort. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to spend some time in silence, and then the band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing a song and we'll be on with our day. So let that habit start right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can learn so much from you, from how you patterned your life to be refreshed by your Father. Lord, I thank you that when we show up in a silent place, we just set aside time to to be still before you and to know that you are God, that you have a tendency to meet us there. Lord, I ask that you'd give us the discipline to make this a daily habit, that you'd give us the discipline to clear out the distractions, to clear out notifications on our on our phones and all these things that are just distracting us from who you are and who we are in light of who you are. So Lord, I ask that right now as we pause, that you would meet us here, that your spirit would come, that your, that your will would be done in our hearts. In your name I pray, amen.